Okay, so you're getting married. More than likely, you're planning to invite a few people to witness this once, hopefully once in a lifetime celebration. How do you draft the guest list? Well, if you're having a traditional wedding at home, there's a good chance there'll be a lot of people in attendance. But what do you do if you're getting hitched away? How do you come up with the ideal guest list for your destination wedding? Let's talk about that today on the Hitched Away Audio Guide. Hello, I'm Debbie Quain. You're listening to the Hitched Away Audio Guide. Thank you for joining me. This audio guide is all about planning your dream destination wedding. Please visit hitchedaway.com to get the inside scoop. And if you'd like to receive a short and sweet email, I promise you, I promise you, short and sweet, when the next edition of Hitched Away the audio guide that is, is ready and available, why not subscribe to our VIP email list? Visit hitchedaway.com slash VIP. Okay, so we got to talk about the guest list today. Unless you're eloping, and eloping pretty much means just the two of you tying the knot, with only the required witnesses and the officiant. That's what, that's what it would mean if you're eloping. But many couples who choose to get married away, whether that's away here in the United States, meaning away from home or another continent, another country, someplace that requires you to get on a plane or drive for miles and miles, there's a good chance you're gonna have guests who you may want to attend. So how do we draft the right kind of guest list because the thing about a destination wedding is a lot of times it's a lot more intimate and you're not going to have the the brouhaha my favorite word of, of wedding guests as you might with a traditional wedding at home and it stands to reason a destination wedding involves travel so less people are going to attend more than likely. So this is perfect if you want a smaller intimate wedding. And recently I've been reading a few articles that are talking about couples who intentionally plan a destination wedding because they don't want certain people to be there at their wedding. I'm of the belief, right, that no matter what type of wedding that you're having, whether hometown, traditional wedding, destination wedding, that the people at your wedding should be the people you truly want to be there. If you, here's my rule of thumb, and it may be a little strict. If I'm not willing to invite this person into my home to celebrate, forgetting a wedding for a moment, to celebrate and to come visit, I don't know if that's a person that should be at my wedding. That's me. But of course, it may be different for your scenario, especially if your parents are involved, especially if your parents are helping to pay for the wedding because they get to, you know, one of the perks of helping to pay means that you get to decide <laughs> who can come to the wedding. So there are a lot of different factors that are involved. So the thing to do before, you know, you start telling the world that you're getting married, it's important to draft a list. And you got to ask some questions, as with many things when it comes to planning a wedding, whether at home or away, you get, you got to answer some questions. And, and as I alluded to a few moments ago, ask yourself when you're thinking of people, is this someone 
that we would really want to celebrate our big day? That's a general question. And for a, for a destination wedding, because this involves travel and more than likely overnight. Well, I shouldn't say more than likely. Okay. If you're getting married at home, there's a good chance a lot of people are going to have to travel for your wedding unless everybody's within, you know, a few miles away from your home. If people are traveling and having to spend overnight, traveling to your location for your wedding, having to spend at least a night, um, overnight stay, that doesn't really make it a destination wedding. A destination wedding is when everybody, you, the couple getting married and all of your wedding guests are leaving from your home and going someplace else to get married. That's what a destination wedding is. And almost always it involves at least one night of overnight accommodation. That's a destination wedding. So keeping that in mind, you're actually planning a sort of a mini vacation. That's what a lot of destination weddings are, right? So not only are you asking yourself, is this someone you would enjoy having around you on the day that you're celebrating your wedding, but is this someone you'll enjoy vacationing with? Because you're going to be around, you're going to be stuck with these people for a few days, at least one day, a day, an overnight, and then a following day. So let's say it, but the least amount would be two days. So that's what you got to answer the question. Is this someone you'll answer the question? Is this someone you'll enjoy spending a vacation with? Also, you have to ask, can they, meaning the guests that you have in mind, can they afford the travel expenses? Depending on where you're getting married, this may involve airfare. We've pretty much determined that it's likely going to inc include overnight accommodation. Ask yourself, is this person well enough to travel? So let me back up a bit, my famous words. What I'm ask when I'm asking these questions, this, this, these are the questions you're posing for each person that you have in mind. Now, there may be some people that, you know, you don't even have to ask these questions. You know, all my siblings are coming. I'm inviting all of my siblings. I'm inviting all of my aunts and uncles. I'm inviting their children, of course, parents. So those people may be just, you don't even have, those may, may, may be no brainers. But again, when you're doing a destination wedding, you've got to think of these things. And more than likely, you're going to have less people in attendance than at your big hometown wedding, right? So speaking of, uh, of, of guests, those that are close to you, are they well enough to travel? Because if someone like, say, your grandmother, you want your grandmother to be present at your wedding, and you're thinking of getting married in another country, and you could never dream of tying the knot without her being there, is grandma well enough to travel? Because if the answer, is, the answer is no, that may change the whole dynamic with regard to where you plan your destination wedding or if you even have a destination wedding at all. And then you have to ask questions like, is this person, is there a fear of flying? I didn't realize how many of my family members are actually scared of flying. And I, I, have, to, I have to say this. Several of the male members of the family are not outwardly saying that. And it took a little bit of digging for me to realize. And it's not just, I mean, this is not a gender thing. But I say that to say sometimes we don't know. But if you know someone has a fear of flying and you really want this person to be at your wedding and you know the destination requires getting on at least one plane to get there, this could be a deal breaker for you. You also have to ask the question, are there any special medical or dietary needs? I'll give you another case in point because I'm full of examples here. I'm telling you this is what I do. I was speaking to a colleague 
who is on dialysis. So a couple times a week, he has to go in to a, a treatment center for dialysis. And he was talking recently about him having to travel, had to do with death in the family, not a wedding at all. But he said he had to put this into consideration with regard to planning the trip and how long he could stay because he needed to make sure he had access to a dialysis center. I never thought of that. But this is this is important. you got to think about that. And it may not be the situation for dialysis. It may just be someone who needs medical care or needs to have access to certain sort of certain types of treatment. So you've got to take that into consideration. Another big thing you've got to think about with your guest list, and this is um, this is a, <laughs> a bone of contention, whether you're having hometown or destination wedding, is children. Will you, do you want children at your destination wedding? And would, do, do you have family members with children? Because my guess is there probably are a few. And will, you know, is it possible for, if you don't want children at your wedding, is it possible for these folks, these people to be able to find childcare for the duration of however long it is you're planning to be away for your time away? Now, maybe you're okay and you like kids at weddings. You're like me. I love nothing more than children at weddings. That's a Debbie thing. But do you want children who are there just for the ceremony and not the reception? Or do you not mind them being part of the reception? So you got to start thinking about that. Because the thing is, once you invite children, for one, children it's got to be a blanket invitation. It's You're going down, you're, you're <laughs> heading down a slippery slope if you limit who can bring children and then turn around and say to other people, well, no, you can't bring children. It's either or. It's either yes or no. And I've done weddings locally here where the 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 invitation <laughs> it was specified that children weren't allowed and then the bride sort of gave in and said conceded and said okay we'll let these you know you can bring your two kids and i think to this day that still comes up in conversation because there are guests who are family members who are resent who have resentment about that whole thing not being able to bring their kids but seeing there were kids <laughs> in the the words that I heard prancing up and down the reception site when I couldn't bring my kids. So you got to be firm on that. So do you want children there? And if you do want children there, we've got to make sure that there are child care arrangements and where you're having the wedding, which may more than likely, not necessarily, but more than likely will be at a resort. Are children even allowed at that resort? So Sandals, Sandals Resorts is a company that I partner with. And Sandals is designed for Sandals Resorts are designed for couples only. You've got to be 18 is the minimum age to be in attendance at a Sandals Resort. Nobody under that age is, is allowed to be on the resort. So that may be a deal breaker if that's where you want to get married at Sandals. The alternative with regard to the Sandals vibe would be their Beaches Resort, which is a family friendly resort. And from the youngest to the oldest can be there. So these are things you have to think about. And it's important that before you you decide on a location that you start thinking about the guest list. I'm not talking about sending out invitations. We're not there yet. We're just at the thought stage of drafting the guest list because these are factors that will determine where you're going. Because if you have many guests or significant family members that you want to be at your wedding who have a fear of flying or who are unable, who are not well enough to travel, then, you know, getting married in the Caribbean may be off the list completely. And you may have to decide, well, maybe we've got to do something here locally or 
head down to Florida if that's not too long of a drive. You know what I mean? So those are things you have to think about. But whatever you decide, you've got to be consistent with regard to the kids thing. That's what I'm talking about. If your parents are helping you to pay for your wedding, as mentioned earlier, you have to decide how many guests you will allot to them. Because if they're contributing financially, it's only fair that they get to make the call as to a certain number of people they can invite. So got to keep that in mind. Then you have to decide, and this goes no matter what type of wedding you're planning, about the plus ones. Are the invitations limited just to the name on the, on just to the person who's been invited? Or will they be allowed to bring someone with them? You got to think about that. So these are things you have to figure out. And what you're doing is you're drafting a guest list. And you may be surprised at how long, meaning how many names that you come up with. Don't think, that, don't get caught up in the idea, and I'm going to say it, and I know you, there's a good chance you'll ignore me, but just because someone invited you to their wedding does not mean that you have to automatically reciprocate. An invitation to someone's wedding, in my opinion, is not a reason for you to invite them to yours because things can change. If you haven't spoken to someone in 10 years, does it make sense for you to invite them to your wedding? If this is someone who you are not as, tight with anymore. Is this someone that you would invite to your wedding? I remember with a destination wedding, this is, you're not just talking about in a few hours. You're talking about spending several days. Someone you've got to enjoy, someone who you would imagine enjoy spending vacation time with. So once you've drafted your guest list and you've got a pretty good idea of who you want to attend your wedding, it's important that you give people as much notice as possible because there's travel involved. There's accommodation that's likely to be, be involved. So you got to give people enough time to notify their employer and to make plans. Maybe they already have vacations that they were thinking they were thinking of taking and they've got to rearrange things. So you may know that save the dates have become unbelievably popular for a wedding. So the whole idea behind the save the date is as the name suggests, is just to let someone know this is the day we're, we're getting married. Please mark it on your calendar calendar. It's not an invitation. In fact, the save the date typically says an invitation will follow. So what you're providing to the recipient is the date of the wedding and the location. And this is important for a destination wedding. So typically, you would send a save the date anywhere from, you know, three to six months ahead of time. But for destination wedding, as soon as you have confirmed the wedding date, which means you have the, lo the location and the date, send that out to the people that you plan to send invitations to. Include your names, include the date of the wedding, and the fact that it's a destination wedding. Sounds obvious, but you've got to make sure that that's crystal clear. You know, if you're getting married in Jamaica, you have to say Jamaica, the Caribbean and make so that make sure make sure that no one's confused that it might be Jamaica, Queens. Do you get what I mean? So specify that it's a destination wedding. If you have informa any information you have for your destination wedding that you can include, you should include. So if you know the resort and you've already secured a room block, which we'll talk about in another audio guide, send that information along. But the, at the very least, you've got to send the save the date as soon as you have the information to give people enough time. 
especially if they are flying to another country and the country requires a passport for entry. Not everyone has a passport. Well, not everyone has a valid passport. You've got to give people enough time to get their things, their business in order. If you have invitations that are ready, send them in lieu of the save the date. It's not a requirement that the save the date must go out and then the invitation. If you have the invitation and the details ready to go, send them ASAP. Send the invitations and don't and skip the save the date if you have it ready. But if not, definitely, definitely save the date. And then you want to give people the get get people excited. So it's really neat when the invitation style sort of reflects what's to come. Because by its very nature, a destination wedding is not traditional. It's different. So you want to create some excitement. So if you're getting married in the in a tropical destination, then maybe palm trees or an image of, of, of flip-flops or sand. I know it sounds a little cliche, but give people an idea of where they're going for the wedding. If you're doing a winter wedding, then maybe a mountaintop cap with snow. That might be the image that you send or something that ties in. If you're getting married in Paris, then maybe it'll be an image of the Eiffel Tower. You get my drift. So kind of get if you save the date, and your invitations for that matter, would be great to sort of tie in with the brand for your big day. Okay, so your invitations for your destination wedding, there's some essential travel information that needs to be included. So there are guidelines for what one would include on your wedding invitation. There are formats and they're in, to the point where you can follow Emily Post's etiquette guide for what and who should be hosting the wedding. With a destination wedding, Things are usually just uh, are different anyway. So you have freedom to decide what the layout of your invitation will be, how formal or informal or the style of what it's going to be. But you've got to include travel information in your destination wedding invitation. Don't skip that. So you either include it within the, within the invitation or send it separately. However you choose to do that, there are certain things you've got to include with the invitation. You want to include destination information, the climate, and where, where, where it is you're getting married, specifically where. Hotel information or accommodation if it's not a hotel. You've got to include that. Specify who the uh, recipient needs to contact, if they need to go online, if there's an individual, if there's a name to identify a group or a room block, you must include that information in the invita- invitation. Flight information. If it requires a a plane ride, you've got to specify what those details are. Narrow it down. Make it easy for someone. If it's a location where American flies direct, say that. You also want to include a daily itinerary because usually with a destination wedding, There'll be a list of things to do. It's not just the wedding. It's a, remember, this is a vacation. So if you've planned a pre-wedding celebration or a cocktail reception before the wedding or excursions that are going to happen, or there's going to be a session with uh, at the spa or a golf outing, list all these things on your in, in your destination wedding invitation. You want to also include information about ground transportation. So ground transportation refers to how do people get from the airport at the location to to the hotel or wherever the accommodation is. Are you going to arrange that for them? Are they responsible, meaning the guests, are they responsible for doing that on their own? That you've got to specify all that information 
on your destination wedding invitation in the package somewhere. So I'm not suggesting you, I mean, if it's an invitation, you can imagine this would just go on and on and on and on. But within the invitation, you want to include the information that we're talking about right here. Talk about the climate. Let people know what to expect at that time of year. Is it going to be humid? Is it going to be warm? Is it going to be pretty cold? Sometimes we forget. So I know I'm, I'm originally from the United Kingdom and being here in the U.S. with set seasons, it's amazing how quickly I've forgotten that that's not the case when I go back to London. So I headed there in August a couple of years ago and surprisingly it was warm. I know you're thinking, well, shouldn't it be? We would hope, but that's not always a guarantee. Because August could be cold and rainy. So you have to let your guests know what to anticipate so they know what to pack and how to prepare for the climate of, what, climate of where it is they're headed. A suggested packing list is a nice touch. Not a requirement, but that, that sort of ties in with the climate and letting them familiar, be, becoming familiar with what they may need and things they might not need to buy, things that they can leave at home. And then also important if this destination is at a location at a country that requires a passport for many of your guests, you've got to say that. Let them know. Passport, you know, remind them that they need a passport. You're not required to get to take them through the process of getting a passport, but it is your job to let them know that they need one. A great way to pass a lot of this information on is to create a wedding website. And you may have seen this. This can include a lot of that information, if not all of the information that I've just mentioned, and it gives place, it, it, it can be instead of, but I would suggest it in addition to the printed package because it's good. I still think we're in at, at a time where people want that information on paper. I think it's wrong to assume that each and every one of your guests has internet access to view a website. I can think of a few older relatives in my family who wouldn't have any access to logging in and looking at a wedding website. So a wedding website is a great place to house a lot of this information, but if you can still prevent, still present it in some kind of printed form. In a follow-up audio guide, I'm going to talk about room blocks and a room blocks, a room block is basically if you're getting married at a hotel or a resort. It's a set of rooms that are set aside specifically for your wedding guests, for people in your group, because that's basically what this is. It's a group trip, right? And there are usually specifics with regard to a room rate. There's some way to identify this block typically involves your name or you and your fiance's name and the wedding date or whatever name you come up with. That information ties in with accommodation. So you've got to provide that to your wedding guests. Again, Include a packet of information with your with your wedding invitations and or put it up on a wedding wedding website. It's I think this a, a destination wedding is the perfect opportunity to work with a travel agent or a destination wedding specialist. I know we are in an age where folks can go online and book travel. But this is not just a point to point. There are a lot more moving parts. So if you have a travel agent or a travel specialist or travel advisor, destination wedding specialist, there are so many names for the role. Include that information. This is very helpful and kind of keeps your group together. You cannot control ultimately how somebody chooses to book their travel to your destination wedding. But you can give them, sort of lead them in the right direction. And if you have someone who's available to do that, 
for your group specifically, I say share that information as best as you can. So again, in the in the wedding invitation is a good place. Putting it on putting a packet within the wedding invitation or simply creating a wedding website, which I think is a great add-on to still sending the information in the mail. Okay? So that's what I wanted to share with you with regard to coming up with your guest list and some of the basics of sending out your wedding invitation for your destination wedding. Of course, if you're eloping, none of this means anything. You don't need to worry about it. But my guess is there's a good chance there are at least a few people that you want to attend your big day away. Did this help? I hope so. If you're planning a destination wedding or thinking about a destination wedding and need some help and need some guidance, please get in touch. Just visit hitchedaway.com. If you want to get in contact with me, visit hitchedaway.com slash contact. You'll find the option to either write or call. I can't wait to hear from you. I really can't wait to hear from you. For show notes and links to other episodes and audio guide information, please visit visit (laughs) hitchedaway.com to learn more. I'm Debbie Quain. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.